All right. We have Gregory Strzok in the house, um, and I'm here with co-host Christine McGill, another episode of the Pleasantly Persistent Podcast. Gregory, uh, welcome. I'm really, really pumped to have you on. I'm excited to be here. It's always good to connect with you, Matt, and uh, thank you for uh, for having me. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you enter yourself in a second, but I'll start off by saying, you know, we, we met for a live cup of coffee several years ago. And uh, sometimes you have that special meeting where you're just like, ooh, like just a great connection. You're like, ooh, this is a good dude or dudette, whatever it may be. In this case, a, a gentleman. And uh, yeah, it was it was such a, yeah, I've always just enjoyed just watching your journey. And I'm glad we're connected because you're, yeah, you're, you're an awesome guy. So I'm happy to be chatting today. So uh yeah, if you want to intro yourself, tell us a bit about your your story and your path, and then we can dive in. Yeah, sure, sure can. First and foremost, the feeling is absolutely mutual, and uh, I've enjoyed being part to to your journey and what you, you're doing over at Rooted Food Sales, and really love you and and uh, love the team, and, and certainly uh, uh, appreciate the uh, the hospitality today. Yeah, I'll give a, a quick overview of myself. I've been a CPG builder my whole life, uh, gosh, 22 years now in the industry. Thought I was going to be a restaurateur, but ended up pivoting into Better For You Foods. And that's where I uh, ended up staying. And for the last two decades have been a part of uh, multiple companies, uh, Long Island Iced Tea, Hungry Root, Noops, and uh, a few others. I also do a lot of um, advising work and uh, help brands in general. I just like to be part of the ecosystem and connect with folks. And really, it's a small sandbox we all play. And every year I'm reminded at Expo West um, that even though it's so big, it's actually really small. And uh, so it's really good to be here. I um, started off as an entrepreneur and I like to think how I migrated into uh, venture capital was an interesting one. I, I um, Back in 2019, I was starting a a pudding company, a better for you pudding company called Noops. The idea behind it was a simple one. It was a multi-billion dollar category, largely dominated by Jell-O and companies that really hadn't found a better for you hook. And I strongly believe that somebody who cares about health and has been through my own health journey and cared about what my kids were consuming. I had a three, a four and a six year old at the time. And um, wanted to get them something uh, good to eat that I could feel proud about. And that's was the genesis for Noops. It was an oat milk pudding product. During that period, I was <clears throat> uh, interviewing uh, for back-end operational support, and I came across City Ops at the time and met Melissa Ficina and fell deeply in love with her um, as a human being as well as an operator. I, I very quickly thought of City Ops as the gold standard of, of back-end operational support and um, <clears throat> decided to go with them. And we worked together for three and a half years into uh, last year. Unfortunately, due to COVID and the macroeconomic environment, I made a tough decision to sunset noops, uh, just needed too much capital and investor appetite had really moved up market with the macroeconomic environment changing. And, uh, it's a funny thing that happens and it's really good guidance for anybody that how you treat people will ultimately always open doors for you. And it's not, it's atypical. I would say that you um, 
form a relationship with a company like City Ops. You're there for their migration and transformation into City Capital. They then become the largest shareholder on your cap table. You then subsequently shut down a company and lose their investment, but you do it in such a manner that they reapproach you and say, look, we really think you're such a good human, a good person. We understand this is a high-risk game. Early-stage CPG is not for the faint of heart, but would you ever consider stepping over to the proverbial dark side and coming to work with us? And it was a really interesting conversation that started to take place between Melissa and I because at first she was looking for almost an operating partner, somebody to come in and really understand the entrepreneur's dilemma, having been in the trenches and share that type of relatability to folks on the, on the other side, which oftentimes you don't get if you've come from an iBanking world or a strictly operational world. It's very different to be a builder and to see what we go through every day. And so what ended up transpiring was I said to her, look, I'm not interested in this job at all, but I'm happy to put my foot forward and put together a job description for you. And I'm happy to lead the search for you. I know exactly what you want. I know the company intimately well. So this was last year in the summer, middle of the summer. I took after Noops was sunset. I said, look, I didn't want to jump into any other entrepreneurial activity for 60 days. I wanted to give myself two months to really ingest what had happened look inside myself and think about the mistakes that were made, the lessons that were learned, and really think about what I'm going to do next in my path. And during that period, I started helping City with this JD. And what began to materialize, unbeknownst to me, but known to, known to Melissa all along, was that I started to write this JD and get really involved in it and started to say to myself, I could crush that, I could crush <laughs> that, I could do that. And at the end of three weeks, I presented her the job description. I said, I got to be honest with you. I think I can do this. I think mm -hmm. I can really do this for you guys. And she's like, I knew you would come back and say mm -hmm. that. And so that was kind of the beginning of really thinking about for the first time in my life, would I have enough conviction to build on somebody else's vision, not one that was solely my own. And I had had such a history and res respect for the entire uh, city capital team and Steven and Melissa and everyone that I'd worked with that I said, you know what, as much as I have a book of about 10 different CPG ideas, I want to jump in and start. I don't think now's the most advantageous time. Let me move across to, uh, to venture capital. And, and so the, the head of growth was born into the company. And so that's what I do right now. I, I'm uh, the head of growth for city capital. My mandate um, to break it down falls threefold. Number one, I drive revenue to our internal business units across operational services, strategy and diligence. Number two, I am deployed into our companies uh, actively as interim CEO, president, anyone that needs uh, interim C-suite support, which is like a dream come true for me because I get to be on the front line and help companies but not have any of the downside risk associated with being an entrepreneur. And uh, the last thing I do right now is really I'm developing a platform for our city capital portfolio. What does it mean for us as a team to drive value to our companies outside of strictly capital deployment? So I'm very interested in initiatives uh, and programming that is to do with uh, communication between the founders, networking, service provider introductions, um, dealing with uh, a multitude of, of programming and opportunities that really take a lot of folks that are still in this post-COVID world and are behind a screen all day and really operating in isolation 
and bringing them together. And so what I'm really excited about, to me, that's what I'm most jazzed about. And that's the, the initiative that's been the most stunted uh, due to our undergoing uh, SEC approval and whatnot. I had to learn a process. You have to go through training. So I'm really excited to kick that initiative off and really bring our portfolios uh, closer to great people in the ecosystem. And that's really getting jump started now. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, yeah. I love it. So talk to me about that two month period after noobs. Like what did those days look like? And then where are you at now when you look back on that time? Cause I personally view so much of this as just like personal growth and like so many of the more challenging times or harder times like you just grow you look back and you're like oh what a blessing what a blessing um so i'm just curious how those two months were like what did those days look like what 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 were you doing to for self-care to support yourself and then when you look at noobs now what is what does it look like in your in your head yeah really really great questioning um so i really wanted to have an introspective period where i could kind of really think through what had materialized not only from a business level, but from a personal level, what were the lessons learned? <clears throat> I got to a point where I was in too deep, where I was going to deploy significant uh, capital of my own into the company to keep it afloat. And God bless Melissa. She, you know, being a board member, she put her arm around me and was like, my guy, it's time now. You have to recognize that this is not the day for noobs anymore. And I don't want to see you go down a rocky financial situation and start throwing your own capital because you can't get from investors. And there was a big lesson in that. And then so very quickly, I decided to not make it about me and really make it about the investors and folks that had propped up the company, our employees. And what I led with was transparency and, and, and communication. And I think that when I made the decision to, to unwind the company responsibly, when our assets still covered our liabilities and there wasn't such a thing as kind of waking up uh, and all of a sudden saying, damn, we have to put the company into bankruptcy. We have to let our employees go with a day notice. So I decided to do it the right way. And I think in doing that, you realize the investors appreciate the line in the clarity. Your employees appreciate a soft landing and giving three months of runway to them and health insurance and everything that they need. And there's a responsible way to do it correctly that folks will understand. And if you mentally can make the decision to be honest with yourself, and recognize that this company is now is not its time. It will maybe live to fight another day one day, but today is not the time. That's the biggest mental hurdle. A lot of folks, <clears throat> and I see it all the time, excuse me, they operate with a sense of denial and it's totally fair. You're so emotionally invested as an entrepreneur. You've got so much into it that you're almost blinded by, by honesty. And so you start to go down a really dark road that's ignorance. And what ends up happening is you're looking for a Hail Mary. And the odds of that Hail Mary happening are 5%, 4%, 3%. But in doing that, you negate everything else that's important in the ecosystem. The employees, the investors, the service providers, creditors, accounts payable, accounts receivable, things that are really a professional reputation. So I think the big point for me was, was I was on that track. I was headed down the wrong path. And Melissa just... God bless her. She did what she does well. And she, she sat me down and she said, noops will live to fight another day. Now is not the time. Yeah. So, so I, that was the, the, the impetus to really responsibly unwinding the company. But it was the tough decision, but it was the right decision. 
I say oftentimes the tough decisions are the right ones. And so what we ended up doing, we did go through a small period of exploring M&A opportunities. Nothing was really exciting. So what I ended up doing is, is unwinding the company, clearing our accounts payable, ensuring there, were no de- there was no debt on the business, giving our employees a soft landing, the couple months of runway, and we, we sunset the company. And so that was the, um, that was last summer. And I can't tell you, I can't tell you the emotional weight that that lifted off me once I actually decided to do the right thing, which was the hard thing and not be in a, in a, live in a sense of denial. Uh, but certainly not easy. I mean, we're, we deal with it all the time. We're seeing um, a lot of companies in the ecosystem, a lot of entrepreneurs and founders that are going through the same situation in today's date and market where really I call it the, the valley of death, where if you're under five or even eight million in revenue, investor appetite has moved so up market that you have really great companies with really great founders with phenomenal products that aren't going to get the nod that they deserve. Because I think that's best- that's the hardest thing right now is there's so many just phenomenal products that that should do well that have a pathway to success but they're not going to in in the market that we're in today and it's it's un it's really unfortunate but it's also I think what you're saying about incredibly important if someone can recognize that at the stage where they can still take care of the people and the team to have like come in to help build that because you know, early stage brands, the team that comes in to build those, it's they're, it's like a family for most people, right? Like th- those people may not be the founders, um, but they feel that feeling the same way about the brand and how you dissolve that really does matter. I think that that was a, a great point. Yeah, so, uh, 100%. Yeah. So I, I, when you say great founder, tell me what makes a great founder. And then, because we're not mentioning names, what, what makes a suspect founder, we'll call it, where you're just like, eh, like you're good, good luck. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really good point. I think number one, a founder has to have empathy. They have to be able to, to build a team and understand what it is to drive a business forward. And to me, driving a business forward is just connecting a bunch of little dots to an end goal, and then rinse, wash and repeat think you have to have empathy. You have to have clarity and communication. You have to really understand strategy and what it means. You have to understand delegation. You have to surround yourself with folks that are better than you at what you do. When you start a company, you're a generalist. Very quickly, you need to bring in specialists. I think a lot of it is predicated on how quickly you grow and what capital you have. But at the end of the day, you need somebody who has clear communication, that has conviction, that has empathy. It's a certain trait that you have. And you'll see, I think the two biggest things you need to do as a founder early on is number one, you need to sell investors. You need to be a good salesperson. You need to also understand what it is to build a strategy and and listen to folks around the table. So to me, those are kind of the early prerequisites for for starting a company. Um, If you don't have those, it's much more challenging. Not saying you can't do it with the right people around you, but if you don't know how to communicate and you don't have empathy and you don't know how to strategize, it's going to be more difficult for sure. And then on the, the kind of like end that like on the, those are the qualities, right? Great qualities to have. So what qualities do you see? I mean, where you can kind of, you meet someone and you can kind of tell very quickly that either the path they're on isn't going to work for them, whether it's them or whether it's how they're running their business. Do you have some key learnings that you can kind of tell? Yeah, no, 100%. I, I, you know, it goes back to the classic kind of sports philosophy of there's no I in team. And a lot of times you have folks that have a, an aura of invincibility about them. And it's not 
it's grounded in more cockiness than it is execution, that's really dangerous. That's really, really dangerous because if your head is so high in the clouds, number one, you'll have an internal problem hiring talent and delegating responsibly. Number two, you're not going to believe that there are landmines, landmines on the roads to success. So I think having those are big watch outs for me when somebody isn't humbled and doesn't want to learn and thinks they have the best thing in the market, they're untouchable. And frankly, like their ego walks into the room 20 minutes before they do. That's probably the number one thing that when I see it, I'm like, oof. I think too, right there, those people struggle a ton to delegate because they're the best at every aspect of their business. And that piece, so when you think of building team, right, and bringing in those like key people, you have to trust and trust that other people are knowledgeable and maybe have a differing opinion than yours because they are an expert. Yeah. And I feel like I find as well that passion is just so important because like a lot of people can work the long hours and some days that has its place, but there's certain people that, you know, there's just so much passion that is just gonna, it, 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 it's going to draw in the right folks and, and it's just going to move the business forward. So I'm also curious. So as far as culture, what you see talking to so many brands and within your own brands in the past, like, what do you see? Like, yes, being a, a listener and connecting, but like, is there any like actual, like every week we like ask these fun <laughs> questions or play these games or like an in-person retreat. Is there anything you've seen or heard about that? You're like, Oh, that's really cool. And that, 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 works. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think the playbook you just nailed, I mean, I think in today's day and age with being in a distributed and remote workforce, like everyone is, it's, we don't have the opportunity to get into an office with folks and have a water cooler talk, et cetera. What I'll say is there's absolutely initiatives, whether it's happy hour meetups, whether it's coffee meetups, whether it's book month of the club, we used to do a lot of book month, book clubs at Noobs. We'd all read a book. We'd talk about it once a month. We would then let the next person share what they what the subject was, and we'd go get more books. There's a lot of these little things you can do to humanize the experience, to get people thinking that the only time they need to spend nine hours a day in front of a Zoom or a Google Meet is just for business and Excel sheets. It's not, right? There's, there's, a, real, there's a real thing, but it, 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 it's kind of like garbage in, garbage out. So you really need to have, and at that early stage is driven by the founder. There, there's such a small team, to Christie's points, everyone needs to really be, you know, step to the same beat. Um, and, and culture is something that in my mind is absolutely driven by the founder and CEO of a company. Of course, one day when they're big enough, they can hire ahead of people and, and, and that they can pass the baton, but very early on the culture cues have to be taken from the founder and dispensed to, to that small group around the table. And there's multiple ways to, to, to do that. You know, what was the book that resonated the most with everyone that just lit everyone up? Yeah, there was, uh, uh, we read, uh, uh, shoe dog by Phil Knight, which was, uh, a really good, good book. And, um, there was another one on business. The name is jogging me right now. It was really interesting about, it, it was very similar to the, um, uh, Intel and uh, Andy Grove, uh, book, just talking about KPIs and really kind of instituting a playbook on how to run your business. We did a bit of both, not not only business, but some fictional, et cetera. So it was good. Yeah. That's fun. Do you have a Do you have a favorite book for early stage founders? There's a lot of good ones. If you had to pick one, um, I truth truthfully, I 
there's a ton of good books and a ton of good resources. I love zero to one. Um, I love what other book do I love? Um, I, I just read so much. There's a, there's a ton of different books. I don't have one off the top of my head um, that I can think of, but zero to one is a good one. I think anything, anything that has real life case studies of how folks went out and did things with, with limited resources and what drove those uh, successes versus the failures are always uh, really, really interesting. Awesome. I'm curious. So as you talk to brands and in your own world, there's so many tools out there and platforms, whether it's right, this is across sales and tasks. So, so whether it's LinkedIn navigator or Slack or Monday or HubSpot or just ones I've never even heard or come across. Yeah. What have you found actually outside of the big ones, you know, the Slack and, and, and HubSpot, the big CRMs, what are some like, different ones that you've come across that are, were great. Are yeah. Great. I mean, you know, it's interesting. We were really tied into the Google ecosystem, everything G suite earlier this year, we made a big move um, to update into the Microsoft cloud and the Microsoft 360 platform. And uh, honestly, for me, it took some time. I was, I was a Google guy my whole life and I loved G suite and I loved uh, drive and I loved uh, everything in, uh, in, in Google so there was some adaption moving into the into the the Microsoft ecosystem. Uh, yes, we use all the big ones. Uh, Asana, I love. We use a lot of Asana as well. But to me, honestly, and it's almost becoming a lost art, picking up the phone, picking up the phone mm-hmm. and calling people. Um, I'll tell you this much: there's enough distraction with everything that's out there in terms of CRMs, um, the ability to communicate asynchronously, whatever it is. Oftentimes, I find like the quickest efficacy in 30 seconds, pick the phone up, have a conversation with somebody and then hang the phone up and you're done. Um, it, it's it's the what I'm finding is just in terms of technology, the the landscape is becoming almost homogeneous in nature where everything has the same set of features, the same storage abilities, the same communication abilities. There's not I, I haven't been blown away. Notion was all right. It was a little complex for me, so I w- went on it, then I jumped off it. I stuck with Asana for, for, for a while, and I still use Asana. But mostly now we're just in the Microsoft system. So there's not any standout that I would comment on right now that not folks aren't, aren't all, all aware of. I actually think the phone call thing is, is super fascinating. I, I said to someone on the team yesterday that like it's a really strong skill if you can learn to call someone and have it be an under seven minute call, an under five minute call, like handle what needs to be handled and get off. And I, I, we have someone, a client of ours that like, I, every time he calls me, I know when I pick it up, it's going to be less than five minutes. And that's great, right? Anything longer than that starts to be, you probably should have booked a a 15 minute meeting or a 30 minute meeting. And what I've learned in, in working with him is just that I don't mind answering the calls because I know it's going to be taken care of quickly. And I've been trying to work on that, like with our team of like how, cause I'm a Midwesterner. So I run on yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. like, do the Midwestern goodbye for a little bit. Um, so even working on that in itself, because it does, it takes what could have been three emails and a Slack message and all the stuff to solve the problem. You just pick up the phone and get it done. But I think we're petrified of that because so many people, you know, you call to ask them one thing and they're like, well, well I've got you. Let's run down these three things that don't pertain to the situation. Yeah. You know, it's interesting with with the founders that I work with and and God bless them. A lot of them are younger than I am. I always, when I'm on a phone with them, I always lead off by saying I've got five minutes. 
I got five minutes. So in this five minutes, let's just nail whatever needs to be done. And then we're going to get off the phone. You're absolutely right. You got to set the guardrails before. The other thing I really love. It's incredible. In five minutes, you can like, uh, you can get so much accomplished and just. So how do you, how do you end it? That's what I'm curious. I mean, you lay the groundwork at the beginning. I've got five minutes. Do you just hard? I've got to go. Yeah, I'll say it's hard. I've got to go, but something really pressing. I may run over, but what I do is I have a digital sticky note uh, from, from Microsoft on my screen. So anything that's outstanding, I'll just pop it in there. And at the end of the day, I'll reconcile it and uh, know that that's kind of high priority. And for me, also, the other gift of, of picking the phone up is a lot of times with Slack and async communication, there's mental fatigue that comes across with trying to figure out the intention of someone's communication. And, yeah. and it could sometimes and oftentimes is mis. mis- conceived in terms of what I think you said versus what you meant. So just pick the phone up and, uh, and knock it out. You know, we're all going to go back to phones and you it's going to come back a- around Asians and the whole deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, to end on some fun questions, um, what is your most purchased beverage that you consume in your home and your most purchased snack? Wow. Beverages run, <laughs> run, run the gambit. Um, in the summertime, I love Onda. Drink a ton of it um, outside at the pool. Uh, Ourobora, portfolio company, got a lot of that over there. Um, snacks, there are uh, – my wife makes fun of me for, how, for what we eat, eat in this house. I have a – it's like a better-for-you grocery. It's like pop-up mm-hmm. grocer. Everything from midday squares uh, – to you name it. I mean, it's, it's, that's probably my go-to because I'm a big, I'm a big chocolate guy. Yeah. So in the afternoon I used to go for a Snickers bar and that's been replaced by MDS now. Nice. Those are probably my, my big ones. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing too crazy. I'm a pretty easy guy. I love AG one. I drink it in the morning, every morning religiously. There's a product now called, um, gosh, what's the name of it? It's a, it's an oatmeal product, uh, that I love, uh, which is uh, creatures of habit, K O H which is really good. I have that for breakfast in the morning with a little uh, three nuts, uh, three trees, almond milk, which is really good. Um, and then that's it. Salad for lunch. Nothing crazy over here. You know, <laughs> I love it. Um, cool. Well, Gregory, it uh, sincerely is a, a pleasure and I'm just, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to see you and catch up a little bit. And um, yeah. So where, where's the best place for people to find you connect with you? Absolutely. I'm, I'm an open book. So you've got uh, my name, Gregory, at citycapital.co. You've got LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, those are probably the two places that I'm most active on. So happy to chat with anybody that wants to connect. And uh, likewise to Matt and Christy, we'd love to get you guys on our platform and get you closer to our brands. We're going to have some programming that's coming up. So I'm really excited to share that with you guys. And uh, we'll get you involved with some other folks. And it's going to be a, a, a good time. Cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for the time. Have a great day.